Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion video podcast. And sorry we, we missed last week. That's because Bob took a vacation that we'll talk about later. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, Bob Doucette, editorials writer, extraordinaire. Yep. So I and wanted ran to- back fast <laughs> on Monday night to catch the game. And I'm still stunned by what happened on Monday night. So sorry. 64 yard field goal attempt. I don't know. Three timeouts. I don't know. You are this is so your season. <laughs> it is not off to a good start. Well, let's start with what's happening now. We are now starting to see the political campaign season heat up. You know, we're mid-September. God, mm-hmm. I don't forget how many weeks left. But I had an interesting day yesterday that I wrote about for this weekend, mm-hmm. which is I met with a group of University of Tulsa student leaders. And these were presidents and officers of different organizations from graduate programs, undergraduate. And they're hosting a governor's forum, a gubernatorial forum, uh, September 29th at seven o'clock on campus. And right now, Joy Hoffmeister, the state superintendent has said that she will be there. Uh, Governor Stitt, the incumbent, has told them he has a conflict, but they're still holding out hope, but they're going to move forward with her form regardless because um, they just, these are leaders. And it was really fascinating hearing what they wanted to talk about. So I was there because I'm going to moderate it and I wanted to get questions from them. And I'll tell you what surprised me. The first thing that they said and all of them were getting input from the various groups. They said, without exception, universally, all their students were interested in public education, like common public education. I was really surprised. I mean, when I was in college, I'm not sure I cared about my high school anymore, but these students either, and I asked them why, and they said either, they they experienced it, many of them went to public schools, but they also are considering where they want to live. And they don't want to live in a state that doesn't invest in schools because they want to have children. And particularly with the graduate students, they said a lot of other graduate students there have children and are already in this and are very aware of it. So um, the other one, they uh, the other surprise, we got to talking healthcare, but specifically mental health care. Mm-hmm. And when they were talking, I, I mean, we're both Gen Xers. And so mental health was not something we grew up. Our moms and dads didn't talk about it much. Uh, I don't even know if they knew the term, but they started speaking about it in a way that they just assumed everybody was going to therapy. They, they, you know, one guy said, oh, well, when I called this, I didn't have any help. And another guy said, oh, call, they were all just swapping stories, just having this very open and honest conversation. And I just had to stop him and I go, I got to say, this is progress right here because I don't you think adults are still talking in code around this that from Gen X on up, it's still like, you know, we talk about it like my friend or someone else. It's always the other. We don't really talk about mental health ourselves. We just don't. I mean, seriously, I don't really know very many people my age that talk about the therapist they go see. I know some people do. And I know some people around my age who have been offered that and they just know that the stigma is there. There's a big generational divide in that for sure. 
it really stuck out. And so I was like, this is good. And they looked at me like I was crazy, like a crazy mom or something. I go, no, you don't understand. This is, I mean, the, and which give, which gave me hope that if, if, that there's a generation of kids really wanting to hear from the governor's candidates, how are you going to solve this? We don't want to hear that it's important. We want to see, you know, licensed therapists in schools. We want to be able to call, anyone should be able to get access like this, just like we do a dentist. And there, of course, are problems with that, but that's another thing they wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. and, and then the next thing, this took up quite a bit of time, was they are bothered by the polarization, the extremism. And when it comes to Oklahoma in particular, they don't like the voting, the election laws. They don't understand why we have straight party voting. They're like, why, why is that a thing? I go, well, we're one of six states with it. So we're one of the last hold-ons to this really arcane, dumb choice. But they were like, that doesn't make sense to us. We should be focused on candidates, not parties. And then the other thing, they were interested in ideas like ranked party voting. And uh, and, I, and I forget what you would call it, but basically opening up primaries that if you have all candidates from one party, it should be opened up for everyone to vote because that person's going to represent everyone. Yep. Taxpayers are paying for the primary elections. So why not? So they can, because they want to get at more moderate, moderate candidates. And I, and, and I'm talking, I had the president of the Federalist Society from the law school to a women's gender uh, studies person who was really bothered by, and she, the other women were bothered by the reproductive choices issue. Yeah. They're scared about getting losing contraception. One woman in there said that she works at a clinic and plan B and emergency contraception to get going way up. So it was interesting. So um, by contrast, so I got, so I spent my, I'll just, I know I'm talking a lot here, but, but I got in from lunch from there, came in here and there was a reporter that had come in from a Republican uh County Republican Party meeting of some type and very different messaging, very different crowd. It was largely um, white, older. And he said that one of the Dudes. main things they were pushing was to straight party vote. They were encouraging just vote straight party. Don't worry about it. Just vote straight party. And I go, wow, we have very different um, messaging and experiences going on in the state. So. I don't know what to make about it, Bob. What do you think? I don't what what's happening? Well, I'll tell you one thing. The the students you talk to being really concerned about public education, right there with you, youngins. Uh, that was that was my column last week, was I believe that uh that was on the ballot. It is. You know, You're names, right. That 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 resonates. Candidate names, whatever it is, public education is on the ballot. And it's it's good to me to hear from younger people that that's important to them too even though they don't have most of them don't have kids in school right now so and i think in a lot of ways generations see a greater sense of urgency uh, than maybe younger generations in the past have because there seems to be a lot at stake so it'll be interesting to see if there's higher voter turnout among younger dem demographics, considering all the things that have happened, especially within the past year. Um, 
I think the the reporter that you're talking about who was didn't he go to like a, a Republican men's club? I think so. I think so. It was a Republican yeah, so. men's and it was it was a very different kind of it was yeah. more of a status quo kind of we push the status quo and I'm hearing from younger people and here and here's what I think will happen. It oh and that that will lead I think into an editorial that our editorial board was talking about. Um, but, but for a moment, you, you mentioned your last week's column and we didn't meet last week, but I've had several people tell me that that should be required reading among all lawmakers, that it resonated in the way I think people are getting frustrated and angry because they're not being heard. They're, they're, they're in their bubbles and, and public education is on the ballot because what when I go out and talk to people, what are your priorities? Number one priority. I asked our community advisory board, what's the priority? Number one priority. I mean, people are very concerned about the the lack of investment and the lack of actual progress uh, and resources because schools can't get better without resources and we're pulling back resources. So um, that was interesting, but but it kind of goes into, you know, we talk about the extremism part, our editorial board was bothered by, and I was bothered by, the, an Oklahoma Watch had a story out that pointed out that 70% of the legislative races have already been decided. 70 percent yeah without ever having a vote and that is a flip from a 2018 which was when we had the teacher walkout remember everyone was motivated and we're going to change things uh 75 percent of races in that midterm were contested but then just two years later 60 percent uncontested so people aren't running they just they just aren't motivated to run but even more so is our voter turnout is super low so 2018 midterms, it was the 10th lowest in the country. 2020, the lowest in the country. So we have, we have a problem right now in Oklahoma where people are so, I don't know whether they're just apathetic or what, and there are probably many reasons, but if we're not having a civically engaged population that will run for public service, be engaged in that, or even vote for people who wanna be in public service, we're breaking and that ought to concern lawmakers. Now, the kids I talked to, they brought that up. They didn't know those stats, but that's why I think they were talking about ranked voting. They're tired of the extremism. I'm, we're, I, we feel like we're constantly battling extremist messaging. Yeah. Uh, and some of the results from other states that have taken away State straight party voting and put in some of these other kinds of things, they come out with some pretty reasoned that more moderates are successful. The attention gets put on individual uh, platforms. There's more of a discussion. And I think that's what maybe what we're craving. And if that can bring voters back and bring more people into public service, I mean, Democrats in the state had a chance to do it. They didn't. They screwed up. They failed. So the Republicans now have a chance to do it, make it right. And I think if they don't, we're headed for an initiative petition at some point. I mean, at some point, the popul- the populace population is going to lead on this. Well, I think that's to the point of that is what we knew. We have understood that straight party voting just amplifies what we see when you have a state that's very dominated by one party. It all becomes about the winner in that party is the one who can fire up the most extreme recesses of that voter pool. So what we're getting in our legislature and in other offices as well 
are mostly fairly hard to one way or the other politicians that intellectually, philosophically cannot bridge gaps. They have to stick to their ideological guns no matter what. And then it just ends up breaking us. I mean, I, I think when you look at some of the laws that we've been passing lately and just how strict they are, how hard to, in Oklahoma, the right they are, no wiggle room, no compromise. It's almost like a purity test type of thing. It doesn't leave us any room to do anything else. It doesn't no room to maneuver on some pretty crucial issues here. So that's how, that's how I think 1775 came about. You know, this is a law that was written to be purposely written to be vague, to enhance ideological conformity in schools that is designed to enforce one side maintaining power, even if that one side eventually begins to lose favor among a majority of the people there. So, and I think a good contrast to that is what we saw up in Kansas earlier in the summer. Kansas is a conservative state, but they had an initiative petition come around after a row got turned over to uh, basically codify the, uh, the banning of abortion in Kansas. And voters there by about a two to one margin said, nope, we're not doing that. That tells me something that you know is kansas more or less conservative than oklahoma i don't know maybe a little less conservative that's still a bright red state and you had a majority of the people there saying no we're not going this far you need to listen to us so what does that mean for oklahoma well if we keep maintaining what we're doing right now it just puts all of the power in a very small group of people to the exclusion of everybody else and their thinking that's not going to get us anywhere going forward. And in some cases, I think it's cost us already and it probably will cost us in the future. We can't keep breaking things right now like we are. Right. And, it, you know, the straight party always sort of struck me as lazy anyway. It's like, eh, I don't really want to read all, all, the, all the names. And to me, there are so many shades within each party that you have, you have extremists in both parties. Um, and so that's very different than your moderate in a party. So that's why I think going, if we can just start focusing on the individual and start focusing on well, where, and one of my favorite questions to ask anymore is where do you differ with your party? Where, you know, are you mm -hmm. just going to stamp everything your leadership tells you, or are you actually going to show some independent thinking? And where are some areas that maybe you might disagree? How are you going to, how are you going to reconcile that? Because to me, that shows the difference between a leader and just someone who's out for power. So we have a well, lot of people who's out for power. Here's something else, too. Let's say you're a Democrat and you've got your choices. And I'm just talking out loud here. But you got your choices for a couple of statewide offices. Let's take a look at labor commissioner and state auditor. The incumbents in there are Republicans. They're also doing a pretty good job. If you are concerned about good government, you're going to cross that party line and, and go ahead and give them another term. But if you're straight party, you're not going to do it. And you might get, I don't know, something you're not really down with. 
somebody who's inexperienced, someone who may have ethical issues, who knows what, what that might be. And I'm not saying that the Democratic candidates for those offices have ethical issues or whatever, but you've got to give yourself that ability to look at people, look at individual candidates and say, yeah, I like this person in my party, but over here in that party, that guy's a winner and I'm going to vote for him. I'm going to vote for her because they're doing a good job. It just makes sense. So, you know, the straight party thing that goes way back to our, <clears throat> I mean, quite frankly, when the Democrats controlled the state, Right. And, and, way and too... say the Democrats are just as guilty for not fixing this, but the Republicans can can fix it now. Yeah. And if the, the Democrats didn't do it because they feared the loss of power, right? That the party leadership don't lose power. I'm sure the Repu- the Democratic leadership then, I'm sure that's the same reason the Republican leadership wouldn't do it now. But that's no excuse because to me, we are already seeing our democracy suffering. In, in, in the state, just by looking at the, the numbers. So if you're waiting, what are you waiting on? You, and also with this initiative petition idea, if that ever actually happens, it could be a very poorly worded initiative petition. And that's something our lawmakers have not seemed to learn that, you know, whether it's Medicaid expansion, criminal justice, medical marijuana, or possibly marijuana now, if they don't start taking these indicators, these cues from the constituents and actually make laws based on that, then they may end up with something completely bad because they didn't do their job in the first place. Yeah, clean up on aisle five and it's your fault. Happens all the time in this state. Yep. Mm. So um, so we have fixed that problem, Bob. That's what we <laughs> do here. We're fixing all the problems that, you know, but okay, the queen died. We missed, you weren't here when the queen died. So I was in Woodward. Queen Elizabeth died. And it's been a very interesting like reaction. Like obviously it's a world reaction. And she's like one of the most famous women in history. I mean, it's not like, oh, she's just a royal. I mean, she is going to have a place in world history. So yep. uh, there's a lot of, you know, the monarchist and the the colonialism and, and all of that stuff. But there was a, a friend of mine who I knew she was a, in journalism school with me and she's a writer and editor in Dallas, uh, Marga Habibi. And she she grew up in Stillwater, went to OU. And she had, she's written a an op-ed for us this weekend that I encourage everyone to read. I love it. But she spoke about her, her personal family background is very interesting. Her mom um, was displaced, Palestinian displaced after World War II. Her dad was a Palestinian who grew up in Egypt. And she spoke about her mother and her mother and the queen were the same age and how her mother always looked to the queen as sort of a contemporary that even in this diaspora, the Palestinians went through and her family certainly went through her mom, you know, just became this fan of the Royals. And so she spoke about from that perspective, that the passing of the queen was like, you know, her mom died 21 years ago. And for this, she had a line there about for the past 21 years, I've seen the queen as this stability, as this consistency. And as long as she's on this earth, I think of what, think of my mom and those lost years. And now that she's gone, it's like, you know, it just brings up these memories of her mom. I just thought it was really sweet and a totally different perspective. 
and she is completely not um, a fan of monarchy or anything like that. But uh, but it was just some of the the takes on it have been interesting. So I I would encourage people to read that, especially you know um, she's an Oklahoman with, with a certain take. But you have any thoughts on the royal family? Bob, I know that you get up and, and you watch you know, all the events in the middle of the night if they're getting married or whatever. Well, did watch the Netflix series, The Crown. But The Crown's great. I mean, I, absolutely. Uh, I've never really paid that much attention to them, honestly. Uh, I have not either. But you know what's interesting to me with this is how many people across the world in the Commonwealth and in the UK in general have lived and died and only known her as the monarch. That's astounding when you think about that. There's some people that never lived at a time where there was another, there was a king or another queen or something like that. And she oversaw in their way because it's very limited in what the, the royal's power actually is there anymore in a constitutional monarchy. But I mean, she basically saw the, the inevitable dissolution of the british empire you know world war ii all of the hardships that uh, that britain had to go through during the war and post-war and and how they had to reconfigure what they are um i think it's a really cool maybe moment for the british people to reflect on you know what they want their country to be going forward where they've been and where they want to go um that kind of a milestone definitely gives you that opportunity. So how many uh, are going to flee? I think Australia is going to be like, yeah, we're done now. Now that she's gone, how many of these countries? Because she did seem to be, that was the whole thing, right? I mean, isn't that why they have the royalty, that consistency, and we kind of like her? I mean, King Charles is just not, man, he's just not doing it for, for me. <laughs> It's just like, no, I don't know. No, no, I do kind of, and and the, there was a, there have been stories about how much the wealth the royal family has. And, mm. and it, I mean, it's so contrary to, to us as Americans. I know it's kind of hard, but I do kind of wonder if there will be fallout, like some sort of geopolitical fallout, like, well, now that she's gone, we don't feel so bad leaving. I don't know. I, I guess it would all have to deal with what are the benefits, what are the pros and the cons of being yeah. in the Commonwealth. Um, if it's not worth it anymore, then. Yeah, I could see the whole thing disappearing. But if there are countries that decide, you know, it's kind of nice to be in this group of countries, there's some sort of a benefit to being in the Commonwealth that'll stay together. Uh, who knows? Hmm. Um, there's another op-ed that we're running, and it's a column that uh, was published in the Los Angeles Times. And I, I picked it up. It was uh, written by Ken Burns. And unfortunately, I don't know the other two people. They were the documentary documentary filmmakers on the U.S. and the Holocaust, and again, it's it, I'm publishing it the the Sunday because it's just such an interesting take, and so much has been done on the Holocaust, and we've talked about it. Um, I just think, what is there left to know? You know, every time something like that comes out, mm -hmm. this was very interesting. There, the three part documentary is coming out on PBS Sunday as it starts, but the op ed focuses on basically what is America's role? And he, they tie in, you know, America had a role in the rise of fascism and, and led to the Holocaust. And in the writing of this, as an example, when the Nazi party 
sat down to write these anti-Semitic laws, these race-based exclusionary laws, they didn't have to make it up. They looked to the Jim Crow South. Mm -hmm. they, you know, when they wanted to have exclusionary immigration policies, they looked to what America had at the at that part of the century. That our sort of racism and our our you know exclusionary type of practices had a hand in that. Now, at the same time, we can turn around and brag rightly that we helped defeat that, that we brought mm -hmm. down Hitler and Mussolini, that we ended up, what was, you know, we ended up doing the right thing, but we have to take responsibility for our role in that rise. And the in question is basically, what are we going to learn from that? That in owning up to it, we're, we can also learn from it. But exactly. what, was the, what was Hitler's uh, famous quote about America? Um, I don't know about Hitler's quote, but I know not Hitler. Winston <laughs> Churchill said Winston that you Churchill. can always count on America to eventually do the right thing. Yeah, eventually yes, that would be Churchill. Sorry. Yeah, a little different there. Good, you know, it's been a long week. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I think that what I liked about that column and I liked about the point is we have two very different sides of the coin in the United States. We're a country that's built on immigration. Uh, we're probably the most diverse in terms of ethnicity and religion and, and everything else you can think of on the planet. But, and on the flip side of that, we were the last country to get rid of legalized uh, slavery. We were a country that had anti-Irish immigration laws. We had anti-Chinese laws. We had the Jim Crow laws. We had, you know, during World War II, the beginning of that, we had Manzanar and the other camps for Japanese Americans who were just removed from their homes and stuck in the camps in the middle of the desert. So I think it's really important for people to understand that our country and its founding documents have very high ideals and we need to celebrate that, but we also need to live up to it. And to the point that these writers are making is we have not many times. And it's really important that we learn those areas where we have not lived up to our ideals and try not to repeat those mistakes. Unfortunately, um, the threads of that still exist. And we're starting to see that bubble up here in the last few years. I mean, it wasn't that long ago we had a ban on immigrants people coming in from Muslim countries. Um, and, you know, you can, you can take a look at a bunch of other things that we're doing right now that are well, just- I mean, we have right. all of the domestic terrorism groups we have. We had, yeah. you know, the white supremacist rally in Charlottesville. We had, um, you know, the Oath Keepers. We had an insurrection for goodness sake, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, but it, 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 was a, it was a really powerful op-ed. And the other one I, I in publishing this weekend comes from PIN America, which sort of tracks different types of um, bans and censorship and different kind of laws. They are writing, or two, two writers, saying that Oklahoma is standing out, that its application of House Bill 1775, that it is standing heads and shoulders above being punitive, being um, censorous, and, and frankly, just being unfair, you know, when it comes down to it. Yeah. That, and, and so, they're warning, I mean, they're not from Oklahoma, but they're warning, hey, 
you're the standard bearer. People are going to look to you and, you know, this is what we're taught. You're a top 10 state on, on censoring books and, you know, tearing down free speech. And yeah. I thought that was interesting because they said there were about 19 states that had various laws of ways to censor um, libraries or books or things like that. No one has like a list of banned books. And I you know, want to make clear because there are some people in Oklahoma that think that there are certain books that are illegal to have. No, they're not illegal to have, but it's more, it's, it's sneakier than that. It's yeah. so vague that you could, that anything could, could count. So, so they, you know, no, we're not technically banning books. We're doing it by having a chilling effect. And so that was the other op-ed that that's running this weekend is how Oklahoma is, is leading the charge on knocking down free speech. Ironic. So, up, upbeat, that's, you know? That's, that's ironic to me that the same crowd that was, uh, getting all over social media companies for moderating certain kinds of content is now supporting full-throatedly a bill that is de facto government censorship because that's what 1775 is. And I'm going to say it one more time and I'll probably say this a few more times in the future. We need to repeal house bill 1775. It is not good for us right now. Yeah. The, I don't, and you don't there. I've heard people argue, well, we need to fix it. I'm like, no, there's nothing to fix. Just do away with it. It's, it's you doing treat it nothing. like the trash, stick it in the bag, throw it in your dumpster and let the it, truck it was, blow it off. It's garbage. Yeah. But you came back from vacation. Let's say, let's completely seg into something fun. Now you had this great vacation um, that I would never do because again, <laughs> carrying a 35 pound backpack into mountains and heat. No, I'm more of a, let's walk the trails during the day, go back to a cabin where there's air conditioning and, you know, plumbing. <laughs> you are like a mountain man up there, but you wrote about it. Why do I want to be mountain man this time? Yeah. Um, so if you've ever gotten that feeling when you're watching the news, uh, scroll on your phone and stuff like that, that you're just feeling, I can't do this. I got to put this down, whatever, you know, people are getting a lot of anxiety over current events and social media and the giant blitz of stuff they hear on 8 million different news channels. I've always been a fan of finding time to unplug, you know, just, the phone doesn't work you put it in airplane mode and you just go somewhere else and just be for a while so kind of what i wrote about with that is just the value that we have in this country with public lands and those are those places where you can hit on a road trip go into the woods go into the mountains whatever it is that you do you're unplugged from the worries of the world for a few days and just kind of be. And that's kind of more than anything else. That's what happened this past week. You know, it was moving from campsite to campsite, you know, cooking your meals over a campfire, hanging out with friends. Nobody's talking about red this or blue that or anything. You're just reliving the things that you did or saw or past adventures that you had. And, uh, I find that to have been a very good thing. I came home pretty tired and sore, a little sunburned, but uh, 
and my car overheated on the middle of a Jeep trail. So that was awesome. But, you know, those are the kind of things that sort of make life, you know, memorable. So I guess the overall point that I was trying to make is just how important one it is to step back a little bit and step back from these things that are getting us either concerned or riled up or whatever. And the second thing is to really put a value on, on our public lands. Um, we mentioned Ken Burns. He had this epic series of documentaries on the national parks and the national parks are amazing. That's one of the places that we went to is great sand dunes national park. But then we also have, you know, the, uh, Bureau of Land Management, National Forests, State Parks, and even here in town, you can go escape for a couple hours at, you know, Keystone Ancient Forest or Turkey Mountain and stuff like that. I'll always be a proponent of using those places to their maximum just to kind of clear your head, give you a little bit of peace, a little bit of fresh air, stuff like that. Um, the best for me personally, not saying medication is not great or anything, but for me personally, the best anti-anxiety medicine you can have is just that breathe that woodland air and stretch your legs a little bit, quiet things down, turn off your phone. And that's, you know, when I think of, you know, what we want out of our government, I think it's things like that, you know, what yeah. that was bringing it full circle to the TU students. Another was walkability and outdoor um, recreation. I mean, mm -hmm. these are, the younger generation certainly, I think, um, wants green energy. They want more of that. And mm -hmm. maybe that's just, maybe they're tied, maybe they know more about their mental health than, than we ever knew because they value those things as well. And I think that's an expectation that we have of government is that we need to preserve those things. Um, for Absolutely. a variety of reasons, but certainly that's one of them. But yeah, I saw your pictures. They were cool. And now I kind of want to go to the sand dunes. Um, you definitely again, should. Be, I am not going to be a backpacking, roughing it for days kind of person, but I do like the idea of an RV. I can do an RV. I can do that, you know. Yeah. So, you know. So anyway, uh, I thank everybody for listening to us. We'll be back next week with more. Mm -hmm. And until then, you know how to reach us. And we hope to hear from you. Adios.